everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering podcast, featuring New York sports talk and long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. i got a good show for you this week. We're going to be talking college football playoff this week. I'm going to be joined by Bill Bender from the Sporting News to break down the college football playoff. Who got snubbed? What do we expect out of the two playoff games? Is Joe Burrow a slam dunk for the Heisman? We'll talk about all that with Bill in just a bit. Shelby the Money also back with NFL Picks for Week 15. I am on a hot streak this week. I went 3-0 in the picks. I'm going to be joined by Kevin Walsh Jr. from the Sports Grid Radio. Kevin and I will do the picks in just a bit. Be sure you're locked into the end of the show for this week's two-minute drill, where I offer my review of and very, very interesting HBO sports documentary, Sabin and Belichick, about the two legendary coaches, Bill Belichick, Nick Saban. They actually have a long history together. HBO has a converse documentary with them about a conversation about them, a little bit into their history. It'll be a lot of fun. I will break that down at the end of the show. But we'll get along with this week's opening tip where I reflect on what happened at the winter meetings right after this. I think this makes them the best team in the American League. I think it makes them the best team in baseball. Ravi, as we know, they have waited for years, hung on to their money, hung on to their prospects, waiting for that big free agent to come along, and this was him. They gave him an enormous amount of money, but now they have a team that hit over 300 homers last year, a team with a great bullpen, and now they put Garrett Cole on the top of a rotation that might have Masahiro Tanaka as their fourth starter. Now their rotation is pretty darn good also. So this was the Yankees saying from the beginning, this is the guy we have to have, and they locked him up over two great contenders, the Angels and the Dodgers. All right, we are back with this week's opening tip. You guys heard some commentary from ESPN's Tim Kirkjian breaking down the big signing of the winter meetings. Garrett Cole coming to the Yankees, nine years, $324 million dollars and this is a whopper of a contract i want to give a shout out to last week's picks guest nick frietta who went on this podcast and said that he predicted garrett colby a yankee by the end of the winter meetings and he was right the yankees knew they needed to get their guy they set out from the offseason said this is the guy we are going to splurge on we're going to do what we can to sign him because he's the best pitcher hit free agency in a long time and they get the job done now, I know there's going to be questions about, you know, what's the back end of this contract going to look like? He's making $36 million a year for nine years. Maybe by 2025 or 2026, the idea of paying him and Giancarlo Stanton about $65 million combined is not going to sit so well. But at that point, worry about 2026 and 2026. Right now, this team was an ace away from winning the World Series, potentially. The ace hit the market, and the ace almost never does at this age. The Yankees wanted Cole for a long time. They drafted him out of high school, didn't get him. Tried to trade for him when he was with the Pirates, didn't get him, let him go to Houston. He blossoms into an ace with Houston and becomes one of the best pitchers in the game. He's only going to be 29 years old when the season begins. So this nine-year contract takes him to age 37. There's an opt-out in after five years, and you figure, okay, great. If he's dominating for five years and he opts out, A, I might get out of that contract, and B, that means I probably won a World Series or two if Garrett Cole has been this great with this core that I have right now. This was a no-brainer for the Yankees. They had to do this. There is there a risk that Garrett Cole is not going to be as good as he was in the two years in Houston? Sure there is. I mean, even so, he was still a good pitcher with the Pirates before that. 
Houston went to another level. The Yankees are an analytically smart organization, and they have a history of picking out the right aces to go buy in free agency. They bought Mike Vucina off the Orioles in free agency. He's been very, he was very good for them, went to the Hall of Fame. CC Sabathia, same thing, comes over, dominant for a while at the Yankees, pitches for a decade in the Bronx, now probably going to the Hall of Fame. Garrett Cole could end up on that track with the other couple of brilliant years. And I heard this argument in WFN yesterday from producer Ernie Acosta about how, oh, you know, like they have to win multiple championships for this deal to be a success for the Yankees. I think that's the stupidest argument I've ever heard because if Garrett Cole was great, and Garrett Cole is pitching to Cy Young levels, but the Yankees don't win more than one title because either the offense doesn't produce, the bullpen chokes it up, the rest of the rotation can't get the job done. That's not a failure. If Garrett Cole is what he was for the Astros the last two years, they've hit a home run with this trade, with this signing, excuse me. And I think it had to be done. They knew they needed the ace. They have the ace. Now they are massive favorites in the American League because the Red Sox are taking a step back. The Astros lost Cole and have not have a clear plan to replace him. The Angels are still ways away. The A's and the Rays are feisty, but they're not going to look a peak with this kind of team. If all goes well for the Yankees, they should be in the World Series next year. Again, long way to go at that point, but they have set themselves up well for the future. And as far as the other team in town goes, the Mets, they signed some pitchers too. Not nearly as expensive as Garrett Cole, but they did sign two starters. They signed Michael Waka the day after the Garrett Cole signing for about 108 times less than Garrett Cole is going to make. He gets a $3 million deal, and that could get up to $10 million in incentives. And you figure, okay, upside guy, you like it, good move, and it's a fine signing. He's got upside. If he pitches well, okay, here, this is a good depth guy. The Mets doubled down this morning. I'm recording on Thursday morning by signing Rick Porcello to a one-year $10 million contract. Now they have two starters to fill the Zach Wheeler hole. Now, granted, neither one of them were particularly good last year, but they both have track records. Garrett, I mean, uh, Matt, Rick Porcello is a Cy Young in his past. And he's an every other year kind of guy where one year is good and one year is bad. Last year was bad. The Mets hope the trend continues that he's good this year. Michael Waka, again, same kind of deal. Like He pitched well down the stretch last year. He had a 359 ERA in the second half of the Cardinals. Yeah, 320 ERA in 17 and uh, about 18 starts for the Cardinals in 2018. Injuries are an issue with Waka, but now that's mitigated by Porcello being here. It leads to an interesting question with the Mets because now they have six starters for sure with the four guys they're bringing back plus Porcello and uh, Waka. Now there is a theory flowing around the Mets will try and make a trade here. May they'll trade a Jed Lowry and put one of the starters in there. They already have like a Mats to fill another area of need on the team, but it does not seem like they could go that way. Brian Van Wagenen just spoke to the media about an hour ago. He's talking about how the Mets have the deepest rotation in baseball, and that's not a bad thing. I don't agree with the idea that they are the deepest, but considering how many health problems they had last year, having guys who can make starts is fantastic because all it takes is one injury last year would have killed that rotation because they had nobody behind them. Now you have six capable guys plus Robert Gasselling, we stretched down to a starter. That means Walker Lock is at best eighth or ninth in the depth chart, which is a lot better, assuming you don't make any moves. The problem is this. The Mets right now have basically hinted after this, and Man Wagon alluded to as much, that they are done, and they do not feel a need to add to their bullpen, which makes absolutely no sense. 
Did they not see this bullpen a year ago? Did they not see how many leads that this bullpen blew left and right? All they've done for the bullpen is re-sign Brad Brock and bring in Chase and Shreve on a minor league deal. You figure if the six guys are all healthy, you figure one of Matt's or Waka is going to the bullpen. That's not enough to improve this bullpen. You cannot simply hope that Edwin Diaz and Jerry Samilia are both better year to year and that everything's going to be fine. That's not going to work. It just is not. The problem here is the Mets are, again, too content to not go over the luxury tax. And it's so frustrating because imagine what Adele and Matanza would do for this bullpen. Imagine what a couple of extra arms do to this bullpen. But instead, they're content to bring the, press the exact same group back and hope that they have better results. And doing nothing, expecting changes, is the definition of insanity. The Mets are insane right now. And all it would take is one contract. If you give Dylan Batances a one-year deal worth about like $11 million, is that going to cripple you financially? Going over the tax once will cost about $3 million, so that $11 million for Batances comes about $14. Is one year $14 million, and you can go under the tax next year. And remember, this might not even be their problem. It might be Steve Cohen's problem in a year. It just questions, again, how committed this ownership actually is to winning. And I don't think they are. They can spin all they want about how they want to win. They're going to go close to the luxury tax, which if you look at it, that's inflated because you want to assess is on that. And he's not played for three years. And David Wright is on the luxury tax payroll. So their actual cash outlay is a lot less than the $208 million luxury tax figure. This is just the Mets cheaping out. It's very frustrating. And I'm sick and tired of it. If it was not for Steve Cohen being around the corner, knowing that the conference is going to be open once he takes over, that's the thing that's saving Mets fans right now. But they are poised to waste another year of Jacob DeGrom's prime. They are poised to waste a year of P. Alonzo and Jeff McNeil ascending because they don't want to fix the bullpen because they don't want to spend a couple extra million in the luxury tax area, which is absurd. It's really bad. We'll talk more baseball winter meeting stuff. And a lot happened. We'll take a deeper dive next week on the podcast. But up next our college football playoff reaction with Bill Bender from Sporting News right after this great play from the SEC Championship game, courtesy of Brad Nessler and Gary Danielson. Burrow, plenty of time. Scanning the field, pointing. Wow. Now he's going to go deep. And caught. Jamar Chase for the touchdown. Cannot rush three guys against Joe Burrow. Hearts in eight players. Brad, we all played flag football, right? One Mississippi, two Mississippi. <laughs> I think this got to at least seven or eight Mississippi before he threw the ball. All right, we are back here on the Just and the Suffering podcast. Joining us on the line today, somebody we spoke to back in August to preview the college football season. Now the playoff is, has been revealed. I'm happy to welcome back Bill Bender of the Sporting News. Bill, welcome. How are you? Yeah, good to be back on. It seems like ages ago. Yeah, we're already back in December, and uh, what a quick season it was. It was a very quick season and a very surprising season. No Alabama in the playoff. We have LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, and Oklahoma. Do you think the committee got it right with their four choices? Well, I think they didn't have a way to get it wrong. I mean, you know, you had three undefeated teams. That's easy. And then Oklahoma, the only one lost Power 5 team left, and, and they earned it, and Georgia lost, and it was kind of scripted neat and nice and neat for him. There will always be eight-team outcry no matter what. But, I mean, this is a year where if you're only looking for four teams, I think you got the four right ones. 
Yeah, absolutely. And who do you think had the biggest gripe of the teams that were left out? Well, maybe Oregon, I suppose, because they were the last conference champion. Two losses, scheduled up, played Auburn and lost. And, I mean, if you substitute that Auburn game with, you know, insert a group of five school or FCS school there, they would have been 11-1 and one and probably a compelling argument with Oklahoma for that last spot given how they looked against Utah. But this is the world we live in. You know, you have four chairs and five people trying to jam into them, and that's not even including the other teams like Notre Dame or two conference teams. And it's it's com- it's complex, I get it. But, you know, at the end of the day, they got the right four teams to this one. Yeah, how surprising is it this year that we have no Alabama for the first time in the playoffs history? Well, I mean, that's one where injuries factored in. I think if uh, I've been running this one in my head probably more this week, and I'm glad you asked because, you know, if Tua doesn't get hurt and they lose to LSU and then they go 11-1, and I'm fairly certain they would have been in. But they didn't. They had a big injury, and, and that's the common link with all these teams in the playoff. You've got four playoff teams that – they're averaging 40-plus points. They're, uh, they're averaging 500-plus yards. Oh, Alabama was the only other team in that zip code offensively. And uh, Tua's injury really impacted that. I mean, he wasn't 100% against LSU, and then he, he suffers a season-ending injury against Mississippi State. It's, uh, it's too bad on it, it, that that happened. But again, I mean, Alabama's had plenty of success. Yeah, they have had plenty of success. Now somebody else will get to be in the college football playoff final. Let's start with the LSU-Oklahoma game. Oklahoma gets there off the Big 12 title win. They have former Alabama quarterback Jalen Hurts. What chance do you give them to take down LSU? Well, I mean, that's kind of what it goes back to what I was talking about earlier with these offenses. When you have four teams that can score 40 and pile up the yardage like that and get up and down the field like nothing, you almost have to treat these like basketball games um, where – you know, a turnover here, a couple stops there, and you're in business. Now, Oklahoma can score with any of these teams. I guess the big question is, will their defensive backs be able to handle LSU's receivers? Can they get in a shootout like that and win it? Now, if anybody can, you know, Oklahoma's used to the shootouts from the Big 12, and it could be interesting. But I just think LSU looked a cut above in the SEC title game, and, and they're going to pose some problems for uh, Oklahoma defensively. Yeah, they are going to be. I'm excited for that game. The other game is also interesting in the Clemson-Ohio State game. Clemson all years including disrespect that nobody believes them, that they are not getting enough love for their history as a title contender. Ohio State looked great in the Big Ten. What do you think is going to happen in that game? Well, I think, you know, you look at that game and you wonder, um, you know, it's the disrespect card. Does it really need to be played? No, these teams are pretty even. They're both really good on the offensive side of the ball with quarterbacks that are the same age that can throw it over the top, Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence. You've got, uh, you know, defenses that don't give up too much. Isaiah Simmons, I know we've talked a lot about Chase Young this year, and he had a great year, but Isaiah Simmons is a game wrecker too. And uh, Clemson gave up fewer points than anybody else in the FBS. So, I, I want to see what's changed. They obviously played in a Fiesta Bowl three years ago. Um, you wonder what's changed for Clemson. You wonder what's changed for Ohio State. And I would anticipate a closer game. Yeah, I'm intrigued by Clemson just because I feel they may have been, in my opinion, kind of sleepwalking through the regular season a little bit because they've been there so often. And they just kind of – I feel they might get their turn to switch on and give Ohio State a lot more trouble than they're anticipating. Oh, I don't think they sleptwalked at all. I think, you know, the, the North Carolina game – gets referred to way too much. I mean, that was in September. They got lucky. They won the game. 
and then they destroyed people the rest of the season. And, and Trevor Lawrence didn't throw a pick for six or seven games to end the season. And I think with each week, Dabo played that disrespect card because it was working. And this team, it looks focused. And I just think judging Clemson off the rest of the ACC is is short-sighted because I think they're awesome. They remind me of Florida State in the 90s where – you know, we didn't judge those 90s Florida State teams based on what they did against the ACC. We based on what we did what they based on against Miami and Florida in championship games. And that's kind of where the Clemson program is right now. Yeah, that is where it is right now. If you had to handicap it today, you would you make LSU you the favorite to win it all? I do. Um, I You know, we talked about Oklahoma. I'm not saying they can't win it, but I just it's hard for me pick to, to see them winning two. Um so, I mean, if we're handicapping the other three, I think LSU's just the best chance to get there. Then they're going to be in their backyard, and then they're going to have Burrow in that spot. And Whether he's playing against his former team against Ohio State or Clemson, who's will have won 29 in a row at that point, I think we're going to get a fantastic title game that will be absolutely riveting. And, uh, you know, it's hard to pick against LSU in that spot. But I do think Clemson's going to beat Ohio State in a close one, and I think LSU's going to beat uh, Oklahoma in a shootout. Then you get LSU, Clemson there, and you know what, what more are you asking for? I mean, you, you might have a battle of the next two number one picks in the NFL draft. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Joe Burrow is probably the number one pick this year. He's the favorite for the Heisman Trophy. What do you think of him as a potential pro? Oh, I think it'd be great. I mean, I'm based here in Ohio. I know there's a lot of Bengals fans looking at him, and you know, he's a guy that uh, leadership qualities are off the charts. He's a Southeast Ohio kid. I think. You know, he's thrived in an NFL-style system that is obviously a lot like what the Saints run. His accuracy is good. He can get it around the quarterbacks. And he, he can run a little bit. He can, he's can he got good escapability. He checks a lot of boxes. And, you know, Tua is going to be really an interesting NFL draft debate, but I think Joe Burrow has answered enough questions. And, yeah, maybe he will be the number one pick. And if I'm the Cincinnati Bengals, I would do it because I think that incentivizes a real rebuild. Yeah, I think it does. And since you're based in Ohio, I also ask this for the Giant fans listening to this podcast. They're saying a number two. They're probably going to have a shot at Chase Young. Like, what kind of player will he be on the next level? Oh, he'll be good. I mean, man, Giants would be adding another super good young talent to their team. I mean, with Barkley and some of the other guys. And I know it's been a rebuilding process there, but you're going to rebuild a defense around a guy. Chase Young's a good start. I mean, I think. To me, I think Nick Boza is better, but not by much. And the fact that I'm saying that tells you what kind of player you're getting. There are people that think Chase Young's better than both Bozas. And uh, when you get that on a defense off the edge, he can dominate games and takes up double teams. Been pretty quiet those last couple games, but most of that was because he would have double teams and a chip on him. But he still impacts the game in every way. Yes, he does. And I know that these four games are exciting, but I'm sure there's more games intriguing. In terms of the New Year's Six games, which other one intrigues you the most? Of the New Year's Day Six, the other ones, uh, probably the Rose Bowl, just because I think Oregon and Wisconsin, the last time they played, pretty good matchup. You know, they get uh, Justin Herbert's last game, you know, before he goes pro. He's another quarterback where, you know, he can make a lot of money with a good performance. Uh, Wisconsin, Jonathan Taylor. The Big Ten's got a lot of bad matchups in the bowl games. And I think they're going to need one that that one at that point because I don't think Minnesota's going to beat Auburn. I don't think Michigan's going to beat Alabama. I don't think Indiana's going to beat Tennessee. I don't think Ohio State's going to beat Clemson. So, and I'm following the Big Ten, so I think that's one they're going to need. 
Yeah, I think they are going to need that. And aside from the New Year's Six, are there any other game, bowl games like that? I, I know there's a million of them. I know it's hard to keep track of all of them. Is there any you would t- t- circle on your calendar and say, I want to make sure I have time to watch that game? Outside of New Year's Day Six, definitely Alabama-Michigan. I, I bet you that does more viewership than most of them. It's just a matter of which guys don't play. But I think there'll be some extra juice on that one, obviously, with Harbaugh saving. I think Alabama will win. I don't know how big, but I think they'll obviously win, and that'll turn up more criticism on Harbaugh that he's just getting beat by the teams that are equally talented or better. And uh, that's the gap Michigan will have to fill in the offseason. I don't think he'll get fired. But if they win that game on the flip side, it's like four seasons with ten wins or more. And yet, you know, nothing against Ohio State, and that'll be the referendum again next year. Yes, it will for Harbaugh. Alabama, real quick. I know there's been rumors about Tua possibly weighing a decision to just go back to school with a hip injury. I don't think that's realistic. Would you agree with that? You know, it's an interesting debate. Um, my first instinct is, yes, he'll go pro and get treatment about that way, and the NFL team will just take him, and he'll be able to heal that way. Then on the flip side, you never know. Like, Would he consider coming back to – try to make more money. I think that's inherently risky, though, given the injuries he's had the last two years. And I don't know that there's anything left to prove on the college level. He's one of the most efficient passers ever. So, But the fact that he had a press conference to say he wasn't sure tells you that maybe that's in his head a little bit. So we'll have to see what that result is. All right, absolutely. My last question is, just you mentioned earlier in the conversation about how there's still going to be the rumblings forever about the eight-team playoff. Do you think that's something that's inevitable? Yeah, I think we'll get to eight eventually. But, you know, I've been saying this all along. I don't mind the four. I didn't mind the BCS. I, You know, I have an eight-year-old son, and I've had to explain to him pre-BCS what we did. And it's like, yeah, they both went undefeated, and they just kind of split it. And that's how it worked. And, uh, you know, it, it's kind of a running joke. But I think when we go to eight, we have to do it right. And I say right in terms of, okay, Make sure the conference championships matters if we still have them. Make sure everybody's playing the same number of conference games. Make sure there's a clear, defined rule for the Power Five and the Group of Five. I mean, there are some years where, like this year, for example, there isn't a Group of Five team that should be in an 18 playoff. I know what Memphis did. They still don't deserve to be in an 18 playoff. They're not one of the eight best teams in the country. So, and that's no disrespect to Memphis. Other years, yeah, Houston, UCF, they were in that top eight. So, I think all of that needs to be discussed and done right. So I don't want to sit here next time I come on your podcast, whenever, if we're doing it 10 years from now, hopefully, <laughs> um, talking or wherever you're at at that point. Um, you know, I don't want to talk, argue with you about number eight, number nine. I want to argue about who's number one. Yes, that's a fair point, Bill. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, do you want everybody know how to follow some of the stuff you're working on for the sporting news and how to follow you on social media? Yeah, I'm at BillBender92 at SportingNews.com. And, you know, this is a little lot of fun. And hopefully, you know, I can do this a couple more times, maybe after the bowl games and uh, look into next season. And, uh, you know, I look for it. And I really appreciate you reaching out. So look for our work there. And then uh, have a Merry Christmas. Appreciate it. Have a Merry Christmas, Bill. Thanks again. I appreciate it. Thank you. Show me the money. All right, we are back. Show me the money. NFL picks for week number 15. Can't believe the football season is almost over. Join me today, another brand new voice to the podcast. He is a host on SportsGrid. Uh, Kevin Walsh Jr. is with us today. Kevin, welcome. How are you? 
Hey, excited to be here, man. Uh, week 15 should be a good one. A lot of interesting games on the slate. Absolutely a lot of good games on the slate. And for the people who are new to this segment, I always start off with, what kind of fan are you? Uh, I am uh, an Eagles fan, which is, uh, it's been a, a bumpy 2019. Yes, it has. How did that, how'd you become an Eagles fan? Uh, I, you know, I just, I think when I was younger, they just were, were one of the cooler teams. Even though I live in Queens, I was just drawn to McNabb and Dawkins, Westbrook. And uh, that's kind of how I made the decision when I was young, and I've just uh, I've stuck with him ever since. Yeah, I'm sure that th- that Super Bowl with the Patriots a couple of years ago was so much fun. Yes, it was. It, it was absolutely tremendous, especially because I feel like my first real memory as a, as an Eagles fan was them losing to the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Uh, so to get it back in that way, uh, yeah, it couldn't have been sweeter. Yeah, it could not have been sweeter. This year has not been as sweet. They enter this week six and seven, but they did come off a win against the Giants on Monday night. So what was the big takeaway from that game for you? I really think the second half was maybe the best half of football they've played. Obviously, you have to put the disclaimer in that it's the Giants led by Eli Manning. But when you hold any offense to under 30 total yards in a single half, I think that's incredible. And then Wentz was out there uh, throwing a Greg Ward Jr. And Josh Perkins, the team's third tight end. The wide receiver core is so banged up. And that could be the case uh, even coming into this week. I think they have to have confidence, though, considering how they looked in that second half. Yes, they think they do. And as you talked about, it's been a bumpy ride. The Eagles mm-hmm. were one of those teams that we thought could win the NFC East. They're only 6-7, and seven, tied with the Cowboys in the league right now. So what's been the biggest problem for the Eagles so far this year? Man, I, I really think it's, it's just not playing complete football. I think they've only played one complete game, offense and defense, and that was in Buffalo. And the Bills, clearly, you know, currently a nine-win team, uh, looks good to make the playoffs. They went to Buffalo, beat them 31-13. They absolutely handled them. But the problem has been, you know, when they play the pass, the Seahawks offense doesn't show up. Then games against the Vikings, defense, nowhere to be found. Even against Miami, where I know you would have liked to see them continue to put points up if you're an Eagles fan, to give up 23 unanswered and let that Dolphins team find a way to score 37 points. So that's really been the issue. It's just not both sides of the ball coming to play on the same day. Yeah, I had the Eagles that week in the picks on this podcast. That was not a fun week for me. (laughs) I can only imagine for you. Yeah, yeah, you can only you can only imagine because the, the problem becomes, you know, you're watching it as a fan, but you see an Eagles team that I mean they are better than the Miami Dolphins, and all of a sudden they get to plus money on a live line, and it, it's hard not to find that attractive. And they just they could not find a way to get the stop they needed uh, to get the ball back to the offense as a one possession game. It, it was absolutely miserable to watch. Yeah, but they did snap the skid. They are back on track. They have the Redskins mm-hmm. this week, so Redskins played them close the first time. Do you expect a bet more a tighter force than the Eagles this time? Man, what what an interesting spot here. The, the Redskins are playing some pretty good football of, of recent, and this now in Washington. I, I like the Eagles to still win this football game, but I actually wouldn't blame anybody that's taking the Redskins with the points they're getting at home. Yeah, I don't blame him either. Speaking of the points, let's get to why you're here. We'll reset the pick challenge on the podcast. My friend Nick Freida was here last week, and although he was right about Garrett Cole going to the Yankees, he was not right on any of his picks. He went 0-3. I won't avoid that. Yeah, he had the Seahawks laying a point and a half against the Rams on Sunday Night Football. I thought that was a good bet. That did not work out for him, obviously. He had the Saints laying three against the 49ers. We know what happened there at the end with George Kittle running over the entire team. And he took the Bills getting the points at home against the Ravens, and they had a chance there at the end. He just could not get that last score. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
and I, I think those are, those were all reasonable plays um, that he made. Probably the toughest one that had to be that St. Snyder's game, just because it was such a back and forth affair. And you would like to think that they could not give up forty-eight points. I think it was in the dome. Yeah, that was that's on, almost unheard of on that same day. Yeah, I, I actually going into the game was kind of thinking about the Saints as the best team in football. That that's a game that makes you think for sure. Yes, it does. I on the other hand, I had a very good week last week. I went three and zero on the week. Mm. Yeah, I had the Bengals getting the eight and a half points in Cleveland against the Browns. They won by they they cut they cut Davey barely got the number. They won by eight, lost yeah. by eight. So I got that one. I had the Chiefs plus three in New England against the Patriots. I felt good about that one winning outright, and that mm-hmm. happened. And I took the Steelers laying a two and a half in Arizona against the Cards. Won that one too. So good week for me there. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. I, and I was right with you with the Chiefs, man. The Patriots, uh, something is just not right with that team. But ironically enough, when we get into the picks, um, I'm, I'm really interested in the Pats game this week. Yeah, that's one I'm interested in too. So on the year, Team Challengers is 18-23-1. Hopefully you can bring some good juju, start bringing that record back up. Mm-hmm. I am 24-18, and 18, so it's going to be interesting here to see how it goes. We are going to the Week 15 picks. Kevin, you are up first. Where are you going with pick number one? Uh, let's go right with the Pats. Uh, laying nine and a half points to the Cincinnati Bengals. And you never think you really would get these spots, but it's a buy-low opportunity on the Pats who have lost two consecutive games. They have been nine and a half point favorites or better four times this season. They have covered in all four of those games. I know Dalton's been playing some better football, but to me, this is the absolute uh, perfect get right spot for this Patriots team. Uh, I think they can win this by 20 plus. I love this pick. I write a column for fans. I had best best of the week. This was on this list because this is a game, you know, everyone's down the Patriots. Everyone's saying, oh, Brady's done. The dynasty's over. This is a game they're going right. to win by t- about 25 points. So I love this pick here. Let's go to pick number yeah, I, two. Yeah, go, sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, I, I, I was just going to agree. Uh, pick number two, I, I'm interested in the Texans catching the three against the Titans. I know the Titans are playing some great football since they've made the switch to Tannehill, but for me, the Texans are Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, and however you want to categorize them, I think that a team that could beat the Patriots the way they did, even if it's a down year, I thought it was an incredibly impressive performance. And then to host Drew Locke and the Broncos and lay that type of an egg, This is a Texans team to me that will play up to competition. Both of these teams entering 8-5. and And to a degree, the Texans can create a lot of separation by being able to get this win. If you look at the tiebreakers, they've got a better record in division and in conference. So the Texans almost can lock this up with a win. So I'll take the three points, and I'll probably even be interested on playing Houston in the money line. Yeah, interesting as well. I do have some thoughts this game, but I'll hold off on that for a minute. So let's go to your next pick, pick three. My, my favorite one probably of the week would be the Rams uh, getting plus one and a half against Dallas. I'm sure at some spots this thing flipped around, but it's absolutely going to be staying under a field goal. And anything under Rams minus two and a half has to be played for me. I know that gambling is never as easy, right? You have to be careful because it's, it's never going to be that simple for you. But this is just too good of an opportunity to pass up on. Dallas has played some really, really bad football of recent, and they have not beaten a winning a team with a winning record to this point in the season. Meanwhile, every single game for the Rams is must-win, and they're now starting to maybe play their best football of the season. You think about the game against the Seahawks and how impressive they looked in that one. I know they're on the road. 
I don't mind that. They've actually been pretty good on the road this year. Eight and, uh, or they're four uh, and one ATS as an away favorite. So I really, really like the Rams uh, in this spot against the Cowboys. I do love that pick as well. That's another one I have my fan side list of bets best of the week. The Cowboys look miserable the last about month or so, and the Rams have been hot. The Rams need this game with Todd Gurley running the football. I feel like they're back offensively. I think it's going to be a very, very, very fun game to watch on Sunday. Yeah, I, I think the only thing that concerns me about this is how blatantly obvious this field, but you sometimes just have to hope that you are getting this opportunity because there's nothing that these teams have put on display uh, in recent weeks, especially the last two weeks, that would suggest you should be playing Dallas here. Absolutely. Let's go to my side of the picks right now. Pick number one. I'm actually going head-to-head with you on that Texans game. I'm taking the Titans laying the three points at home. Mm. I, I just, for the reasons you laid out, I'm going very similar there. Just because Tennessee, 6-1 and one since Ryan Tannehill took over as a starter. Derrick Henry's run the football very well. The defense is making plays. And this is a game Tennessee needs a lot more because next week they go to New Orleans. Mm-hmm. They have the Saints. It's not going to be easy for them going to the Dome. They have to go to Houston Week 17. That's another one that's not going to be easy. They need mm-hmm. this game to give themselves a chance. And I feel like there's a manageable number. I feel like they're playing hot. I feel like they're going to win this football game. Give me the three points. Lay, lay it with the Titans. Titans pick number one. Yeah, and it's hard to argue with it. They've won four games in a row, and Derrick Henry's kind of establishing himself as Mr. December with the way that he's continually put up these big games late in the year. So I really can't knock it, uh, even though I'm on the other side. That's fair. Pick number two. I'm going to the first time this year anybody in my pocket has taken them. I'm, I'm taking the 49ers, laying all 11 of those points in Atlanta, in, at home against the Falcons. And coming off a big win, this to me is more of an indictment against the Falcons because they're dead and buried. They're not going anywhere. Julio Jones is banged up. I think they have no motivation flying across the country to play this football game. Mm-hmm. 11 points is a lot, but Dan Quinn's a dead coach walking. I don't think they're going to play hard for mm-hmm. him. I think the 49ers know they need to just steamroll people to get the home field. And 11's a big number, but I trust them to lay it here. I'm laying the 11 with the 49ers pick two. I think the thing that would worry me with this spot is because are the Niners 11 points better than the Falcons team? Absolutely. But are the Niners maybe going to be a little bit hungover from that game last week and maybe even a little tired from that incredible game against the Saints last week? It's maybe enough that would make me not want to lay it with the Niners, but I don't know if it's enough to convince me that I would ever want to actually take the Falcons in this spot because it could get ugly uh, and it could get ugly quick. Yeah, so, Asa, you're saying you would stay away from this game. So, you. I, I think I would have to. I mean, last week the Falcons actually found a way to put up 40 points. We know there's some offensive talent, but look, no Calvin Ridley in this game. And the Niners are, I mean, at this point in the year, you have to give them they, their respect. If, if you really look at it, anybody that circles them as the best team in football, it's really, really hard to argue with a three-point loss at Baltimore and then that crazy overtime game against the Seahawks. This team absolutely could be 13-0. and um, but I just wonder if the Niners have a little bit of a hangover from that game in New Orleans. That's very fair. Pick number three for me now. I'm going to one. I always find this one game a week that I look at the number. It makes no sense to me. And this week is the mm-hmm. Minnesota Vikings getting laying, laying two and a half points on the road against the Chargers. And I know the Chargers are one of these weird teams where they can just show up and just beat you when not, and you're not expecting it. Like what happened to Green Bay earlier this year. I got burned by that one. But Minnesota is a team that likes to rely on the run. Chargers have not been great against the run this year. Vikings have a good defense to force some picks from Phillip Rivers. And this, again, I just need a field goal on the road to win. And the Vikings need this football game. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to take the Vikings, lay the two and a half, pick three. 
I'll tell you what, this is one of the most interesting games of the week. Because if I would have offered this to you preseason as the Chargers, the healthiest they've been all season long, as short dogs at home against the Vikings, although they obviously have a pretty much non-existent home field advantage, you would have probably wanted to jump all over the Chargers. They've obviously not lived up anywhere close to expectations. It's just hard to figure out how real last week against Jacksonville was. And that is the thing about this game that makes it so, so interesting. Because if we just take the rosters at face value and throw the records out, the Chargers and Vikings are probably a lot closer than what those records would indicate here. But you always have to wonder late in the year how much motivation could factor in. The Vikings are fighting for their playoff lives, especially with how hot the Rams have been. We both like the Rams this week. They're hot on their tail. Uh, and the Packers are, again, favorites this week, so they're really looking to lock up that division. I, I think this is one of the most fascinating games of the week. Yeah, I think we picked some good ones. So to reset what we did this week, uh, Kevin has gone with the Pats laying 9.5 in a, a get-right game against the Bengals. The Rams getting a point and a half in Dallas against the struggling Cowboys and the Texans, plus three in Tennessee against the Titans. I've gone head-to-head with that pick. I laid the three points with the Titans. I took the 49ers laying 11 at home against the dead man walking Falcons. And Mm. last but not least, the Minnesota Vikings laying two and a half in Los Angeles against the Chargers. And those are your picks for week 15 of Show Me the Money next week. Uh, friend of the podcast, Alex Fasano, will be on the line doing the picks. And- Big fan of Faz. We, uh, we work with Faz over at, over at Sports Grid. Uh, and I'll tell you what, he's a big Steelers fan. They got a, a huge game on Sunday night. They do. I timed this out because Steelers are playing my Jets in Week 16. And obviously, mm. I think they're going to win that game. But I would not. Right. Be, I think that's going to be closer than people anticipate because that's, that's going to be one of those weird games that Jets decide to actually show up this week. I, I've wondered all year if that would be the Lev Bell revenge game. And if he's playing, if Lev Bell suits up, I, without knowing what the spread will be, I'm going to be very interested in your Jets. Yeah, I'm going to be very interested as well. Uh, Kev, thanks for all the time. Uh, two things before I let you go. Number one, mm-hmm. you're, you're a big sports gambling guy, as we've established through your work at Sports mm-hmm. Grid. Do you have any good NBA wagers you like over this weekend? Oh, that, that's actually pretty interesting. I, I was I was wondering if by chance we would uh, we would get to this. And there was a game that I was pretty interested in. Now, you know, they don't give out lines super far in advance, but keep an eye on the total for Lakers Heat. Uh, two really really good teams that are going to be facing off in Miami on Friday. Uh, the first time they played, neither team was able to eclipse a hundred. And if they bake that in, and you get a total that sits below two ten. Go ahead and get over. The Lakers are playing some really good offensive basketball despite a poor showing showing against Orlando, which actually makes me feel even better because they should bounce back. And Miami at home has been putting up a ton of points all year long. So that's definitely an early game. Uh, if If they give you a low total in Miami, look to go over that number. Sounds good. And also, if people want to follow you on social media, catch up and catch with your show on Sports Great, how they do that. Yeah, if you want to follow me over on Twitter, it is at the Kevin Walsh. Uh, you know, occasionally tweeting out some pics and uh, and stuff that we do over there, and then uh, follow the YouTube channel, Sports Grid, easiest place to find us. Uh, where we're doing it, you know, in game live, a, a lot of nights, uh, following along with the big primetime NFL games, big NBA slates, whatever it may be. So uh, check us out over there. Yeah, and Kevin Walsh starting to do things. I saw he, uh, recently on MSG, he and our good friend Martino Puccio <laughs> were on the air making some picks, and you guys did pretty good that weekend. 
Yeah, you know, that, that was the thing. It's, you know, it's always uh, it's a bit nerve-wracking, right, because you're going out, you know, it's a big platform, MSG, and you obviously want to do a good job in, in just kind of the presentation, but you want the picks to do well. Uh, and they actually did do pretty well that day. So uh, it was a great opportunity, uh, you know, and, and the sports grid is making that stuff possible, which is incredible. Uh, but it was also, yeah, it was nice to see some of those picks get home. Absolutely. Uh, thanks again, Kev. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I really appreciate it, man. It was a lot of fun. Hopefully we uh, can do it again down the line. That would be fun. Up next, this week's two-minute draw, I break down the HBO documentary Save It and Belichick, The Art of Coaching, right after this. There's a lot of people that will take the challenge to climb the mountain. But when you get to the top of the mountain, you become the mountain. But the great ones can say, you know what? I can be even better. Nick was the first coach I hired and the best coach I hired. We had a lot of suffering, but I knew exactly what you expected from me. Certainly there was some tough love there. The most challenging thing to me is to keep the guys motivated. To this day, I still take some of the drills and techniques that I learned from him that I thought were better than what I was doing. Let's go to work here. It's not about what you want. It's about what you're willing to do to get it. Run it again. I can't stand it. I'll up and run it again, Brady. What you did last year really doesn't matter. All right, we are back with this week's two-minute drill. You just heard the trailer of the HBO documentary, Belichick and Saban, The Art of Coaching. And I have to tell you, this thing was as epic as that trail made out to be. This is a documentary from HBO Sports. The authors of the Hard Knock series, they got together with Bill Belichick and Nick Saban, the two greatest coaches in their sports right now, and... Every year, people don't know this, that Belichick and Saban are great friends. They've been friends since the 90s, even before that, actually. Every year, once a year, they meet up in Alabama to catch up, talk shop, all that good stuff. HBO got them to do it on camera this year, which is actually incredible. So, a lot of fun. You knew from the beginning this is going to be fun because they start off with a sequence in the beginning with hidden service, hidden camera kind of feel where... Belichick and Saban come in. The, ca- the crew's all setting up. They ask them for a little privacy. The crew leaves. One of the back of cameras is still on, and they catch the conversation. And it's not like personal, like, oh, how's your family doing? It's them just talking about football, which is so funny because they literally start talking about, like, like formations. Do you run the 3-4 more? A lot of good stuff. And there are a bunch of interesting stories to come out of this belichick Saban documentary. Number one, I thought the... I like the ideas here they brought up. Interesting concept they had about the idea of respecting the staff, where both Belichick and Saban have had a lot of coaches go on to have their own teams, their own programs. They each mentioned the idea about how, hey, I gave you a shot. Respect what I have here. Build your own thing instead of trying to copy mine. And I thought that was an interesting concept because we've seen that with all the Belichick and Saban assistants where sometimes they'll try and poach some of their own staff members. That's going on. That's interesting. Another interesting thing, remember a couple of years ago in the AFC playoffs and the Pats and the Ravens, Pats had this interesting formation where they had a wide receiver, or actually a running back, Shane Vereen, split out wide. They had four guys all out wide. Vereen was not eligible. The tackle goes down the field, catches a pass. That play was directly inspired by something Nick Saban ran at Alabama. And Belichick watched the film, got an idea for it, took it for his own, 
And they sort of trade ideas off each other, which is great. Another, and you also get a lot of great footage of them behind the scenes in meetings. They do interviews in their own places. They gave you some great stuff. Nick Say in particular had a great moment where they talked about back in the title game against Georgia a couple of years ago when Nick Say when he pulled Jalen Hurts at the half for Tua Tagovailoa. A lot of people would say, oh, that's just a great gut call by Nick Saban. Saban revealed that that was something that he had in the back of his mind the entire time and that he gave Jalen Hurts every chance he could to stay in that game, but it was not working. They knew if they needed more of a passing attack, they would go to Tua, and that worked. They win the game. These two, just it was just a joy watching them talk football. You can see why they're great where they are. They demand greatness every day. It's so much fun to get that insight in. I don't want to spoil too much of it because I think a lot of it should be enjoyed by just watching it yourself. I give this thing the full A plus on the Phillips film review scale. I think you need to go watch as you're a football fan, whether college or pro. These two just talking, they could talk about anything. I would be enthralled. They were so engaging. They were so into it. And I think it's great. I think it's must watch TV from HBO Sports. Go check it out on demand. I'm sure they'll be running it a few times. Go check it out. You will not regret it. All right, and that will do it for this week's edition of the Just and the Suffering podcast. I want to thank my guest, Bill Bender, for calling in to talk all about the college football playoff. I also want to thank Kevin Walsh Jr. from SportsGrade to take the time to call in and do the picks for week 15 of Show Me the Money. Be, sh- be sure to check out the blog if you want more guests like, like this podcast, including my reaction to the Jet Raven game on Thursday night. Check it out over at justandthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. Simply search for Just and the Suffering on any of those platforms. You can find all our episodes there, including my conversation earlier this week with our legal correspondent, Phil Frietta, about the sale of the New York Mets. Feel free to leave your feedback and star ratings as well, and we'll make this podcast even better going forward. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. Tweet me the hashtag disrespect you made at the end of this week's show. Again, hashtag disrespect you made to the end of this podcast. Next up on the podcast, we have a special bonus episode coming on Monday. I'm going to be speaking with John Stanko about the finale of Watchmen. Remember, back in October, John and I did the season premiere. We are getting back together to recap the season finale. That's going to be a lot of fun. I cannot wait to hear that. Until then, I'll be a better week than Georgia fans. (laughs) 